Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. King, you are listening to the Downtown Riders Jam podcast. Very excited today. We're going to have Michelle Freed in the office. Michelle participated in the first Riders Jam, and she is a she did a one woman play at the Fringe Festival a few years ago. And I'm interested in talking. I don't do because I don't do theater. I don't write plays. I don't. Generally, do screenplays. I'm always interested in how people experience writing differently, writing it as a performance. And it's, I've been working on several projects this week. Every year, I say I'm not going to spend a lot of time taking on new projects, and every year, I end up taking on new projects. And so, I've been thinking a lot about writing in different genres outside of what I normally do. Outside of the nonfiction realm. But more importantly, trying to figure out how do I have time to do all of the things that I want to do. Um, this is the recurring theme, I think, particularly today for writers, for artistic people. There are not the outlets where you can make um, what we used to call anchors. There are not places that you can put all of your stuff, all of your work into one area. And consequently, you end up kind of running from project to project trying to cobble together some sense of um, artistic spirit or artistic um, creativity that you can also make a living doing. And so many of the writers and and creative people that I talk to sort of exist in that middle ground, right? That's somewhere between I'm not an amateur and I don't do this for a full-time job. Or the the full-time job that they have, I know lots of writers who – and they've done this for years, right? They, they have produced um, ad copy or marketing copy, or they, they write for other people so that they can subsidize the thing that they want to do. And so part of this whole endeavor, sitting down, talking to writers, putting on the writer's jam, doing work at the writer's center, outside of teaching, is all about carving out this space where we can collaborate together and do work because it does get overwhelming. And I'll say, I, I have, I'm lucky. I have lots of folks who I do work with um, and who like to do projects and who will do them for uh, not tremendous amounts of money um, so that we can do cool shit. That's at the end of the day, we have to do cool shit or life gets really terrible and boring. You can only get up and go to your job so many days in a row um, and not make your own thing before uh, you need to stop all of that. So it's been an interesting endeavor um, this week as my plate is already full. I've got my, the Appalachia book, I'm writing that. That's going to be a recurring theme. 
Um, I'm like eight months behind on riding on that. Uh, I carve out time to ride all the time. I raise money on Kickstarter, so there's people expecting um, that stuff uh, to come out. But then there are these other projects that come up um, that I, I'm i just fascinated by. And you can't, but that's the thing, right? So, like, when people come up, we've talked about this before, when people come up to me and say, oh, uh, I, I want to write a book, or I've always wanted to write a book, um, that drives me crazy. It drives me crazy because the process that you go through to write anything is time-consuming. And then when you have to now build on the business on top of that, how do I raise money? How do I, you know, I have to price um, editors and I have to look at copy editors and designers and then I have to figure out when they can do the work because they're doing the same thing that I'm doing. And it becomes this big merry-go-round. And you can never, even when you're working on a project, you're always thinking about what's the next project I'm going to work on because they're so sporadic. Um, and if you find, you may be working on something really awesome and then a paid gig comes along and then all that's, you know, your sort of smaller gigs get pushed to the side. So it's this never-ending cycle of, I think, um, modern, at least for writers. I don't really know, I don't know about other people. Like my other friends seem to be doing stuff. Uh, you know, shooting movies and whatever. Um, but the writers seem to be existing in this world of our own making as the outlets have shrunk, as the ability to make a living doing just the singular thing that you do has gone away. And part of, part of this process outside of trying to sort of create this collective it's, it's, it's building that place, right? It's building the the place that exists where small presses and, and small outlets used to exist so that there is time to build your career, right? There's time to stretch out and write something that maybe is only going to sell 2,000 copies. If you're lucky, 2,000. And I mean, that could be a book or a novella, a chapbook, like whatever it is. Like That's just not a business that most major media companies are going to get involved in. So I'm always, I am, I am supremely fascinated by how that plays out with other people. And for me, it's, you know, look at my desk, my, my den, where I'm sitting here, there's just, there are stacks of papers and boxes and piles of projects everywhere. My dog, Max, is sitting, he like, he wanders in between them in the office. And every once in a while, I'll come in and like rearrange them or put them in order so that I can start to do a little bit of work. Um, but it is the, the, the creative process, at least in this sort of what I call professionalized amateurism in this world in which, um, you are sort of going from project to project. My office, my creative space has become this really stressful place, right? It's a place that I come into and it's a reminder of all of the things that I haven't yet done that need to be finished in the projects that are in the work. So, of course, now I've crammed the Writer's Jam podcast in here as well. So, I hear it, too, from a lot of my friends. A lot, So many of my friends talk about this exact um, thing, and you make decisions in your life. My writing partner, John, um, uh, he lives in Berlin um, with his girlfriend, and they, you know, they write and sort of live that expat life, which is great, and I love going to visit them, And but that introduces its own challenges, and you know, someday I'll have him on the show, and, and, and we'll talk about that. Um, 
I mean, he's reduced some of the stresses that I, you know, we live in the suburbs. So, you know, we have all of those trappings that you're not supposed to do when you're an artist. Um, you know, so it, it's a different kind of, we, I always have this idea that I'm just going to throw everything in the river and move to the, a cabin out west. Um, and because that, somehow that would be better. That would be um, the thing to do. That's that starving artist thing that needs to be done. But that inherently is going to bring in its own issues and how to get out there in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I'm sure almost immediately want to come back because I want to be collaborating with people and then I would be living in a place where I don't. So that's what is circling around the podcast this week is this idea of um, carving out spaces, right? And, and I'm interested to talk to Michelle to find out um, how she balances uh, the theatrical writing and, and the performance stuff that she does with her life and how you can treat those. How do you treat your theatrical stuff? How do you treat your creativity with the same kind of professionalized um, respect that you would your job or the rest of your life. So, I hope you're all doing well. I hope you are have answers to some of these questions. Um, I hope some of the uh, uh, the the processes that you've go, go, gone through have helped you create that stuff. But for Michelle and I, uh, in just a minute, we're going to talk about how that works. All right, so I actually didn't know you when you showed up at the jam and you applied. How did you, no. how did you come across that? How, how did you find out about that? Well, I was on Twitter, and I you thought, you said something to me about it. You reached out to me and said you should try out for the – or you should submit for the writer's jam. And I said, what? Did you respond to something that I said? Yeah, yeah, okay. I did. And then uh, – so I, I had never heard of it, and then I – Looked it up and thought, ooh, this sounds cool. So that's how I found out about it, and then I submitted, and there you go. So it's here. The thing for me is that you, um, you're not, you don't, you don't write books. You're not a, you don't do novels. You not don't do yet, like that. <laughs> so what t- you you do theater? Was that your first? Well, it was a, a, a one woman show. Okay. Was that the first time you'd done something like that? Yes. So you didn't. So well, okay, back up. Yeah. I well, when I was in high school, I was like in speech and drama and all that stuff. But it, you know, it was purely accidental but i've always kind of been you know i hate to say it the drama queen yeah (laughs) literally and figuratively but anyway um so it's always something in the back of my head and something that i've been kind of inclined to do and uh so when i read about the indie fringe festival which is when i wrote my first uh one woman show um yeah, I kind of jumped in with both feet, didn't know what I was doing, but in my head I kind of did, if yeah. that makes sense. It, does. it was brave. A lot of people, I, I think people say brave and I say stupid. Yeah. So, what, so where, you didn't study in college? You no. haven't done it? So where did you grow up? Where? Okay, so I grew up in Oklahoma, tiny town uh, near the Panhandle. Yeah. I graduated with 63 people, if that tells you how small. What was the town? Fairview, Oklahoma. Okay. And so what did you do and what did you do there? Like, because clearly you had some kind of dramatic storytelling 
Like, I, I did. Yeah. Um, you know, I was I was the kid that was always in the bathroom in front of the mirror, <laughs> not because I loved how, you know, not because I was vain, but because I was always making up commercials. I was always writing scripts in my head. I was always doing, you know, in my, in my head, I always had monologues going on or things that were kind of unwritten, but I didn't know it at the time. And um, my, both my parents were teachers, and so they were very we, – we would go to the city, which was Oklahoma City. We'd uh-huh. go to, into the city to see plays and, you know, concerts and cultural events, and, and that always exposed me to something bigger. And uh, so it, it was always a, an attraction for me, and then we started a speech team, and nobody knew what we were doing, and I ended up, like, going to state and all these events. And I just kind of stumbled into a lot of things, and uh, – I really didn't ever think, oh, I'm going to write a one-woman show one day. But it was in my head all along, I think, for a while. And so when it when the opportunity came up, I just kind of, like I said, I just plunged in and figured I'd, you know, work it out. Do you have brothers and sisters? Yes, I have an older brother and an older sister. So you were the youngest? I was the youngest. So were you, were you that kid? Were you that, like, in the house, like, telling jokes and being funny? And Well, you know, this is funny. Um, they were six and five years uh-huh. older than me. So it's five years older. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like being an only child, but yeah. it I is, it's weird, isn't it? It is. Like it, that being out of that grade, it's, you have two different yeah, lives. Completely. You do. Yeah. You do. And, uh, so but I wasn't the kid that was running around telling jokes all the time. Yeah. I wasn't purposely or consciously doing that, but the way that my brain worked, I was, I always kind of an observational humor. I always just saw things as funny but then, this is interesting, so um, when I was a senior, uh, they gave out these, you know, awards, which I hate, most likely to succeed, all that stuff, and I received an award, and it was for class clown. You hated what you were doing. I was humiliated. Really? Actually, I was humiliated. I thought, because in my mind, <laughs> being a class clown yeah. was a male, yeah. obnoxious, disruptive, needy, yeah. you know, all these negative... I was second. I <gasps> lost to Tim Hansford. Oh, I'll you... never forget that. I, I, I was not the class. It you wanted to be it, right? I wanted to be funny. Okay. Like, it, it's which is weird because I'm... Um, I have a very serious streak to me, but, yes. I, but I also have sort of a not serious streak. But in high school, I wanted people to like me. I was kind of nerdy. I liked stuff like that. So yeah. I just was... I used my wit. So you were consciously... Absolutely. Funny. I, I was trying to be. I think some people would say I was, you know, annoying. Not always funny because when you're 15, right. you miss the mark sometimes. Right. But you were humiliated. That's not I was true. humiliated because, I mean, like I said, and I think that might be a difference a little bit between men and women yeah. too because I would just, I love making people laugh, but it wasn't because I was like thinking of jokes or puns. I was just kind of commenting on things around me or yeah. making fun of things around me, not people but things and um so yeah i thought it was a uh, my i internalized kind of this message that well you're not feminine you're yeah. not to be taken seriously you're not you know a lot of things that to me was a negative and years later did i realize oh hey that's kind of cool but i i didn't like it at the time and i kind of rejected that as i didn't think i was taken seriously yeah so did your mom and dad like did they did they think that was funny or did they like think you were like oh you're kind of you're the loud child. No, because I really wasn't loud. I mean, I'm really kind of, I wasn't loud. 
an obnoxious or anything like that, but I was just more funny with my peers, I think, yeah. and teachers and things like that. Years later, one of my aunts said, oh, you were such a funny kid, but I don't remember that. Yeah. So you were oblivious to the way people looked at you. Yeah, I, I guess head, I was. You were you were a Broadway monologue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but everybody exactly. around you thinks you're hilarious. Exactly. Yeah. I think that, wow, this is like therapy. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. It's, as I've talked to um, other writers, uh, uh, one of the things that, uh, like I was, I write nonfiction because um, I'm a, as an alcoholic, like I created fictions in my head, these kinds of things. Yeah. I thought people looked at me in certain ways. Uh-huh. And then you go to your amends process and you find out like they fucking hated you. Like, <laughs> you know, like yeah. you just did terrible things that I have no recollection of. And so I think I've gravitated to fiction or nonfiction because I had done so much fiction in my life, right? That I, I needed to have some tie into something that was real. Uh-huh. Um, do, do you ever think like why do you have the monologues like why like why has it been a thing that you have commented on the world? You think it's because you're from a small town or? You know that's funny. I really haven't <clears throat> thought about why, but when you say small town, I mean, growing up in such a tiny town, there are certain people that it's just like I always knew there was so much more out there, yeah. and it's not that I hated where I was, sure. but I I never for a second thought that I would still be there. Right. After I graduated, because I always, you know, thought, I guess, bigger. And I don't want that to sound like it's condescending or anything yeah. like that. But I, so. I was to say, my town was small, and I always knew. People yeah. told me, even in college, I had an old girlfriend tell me that she broke up with me because she said it was very clear you weren't going to stay here. <laughs> yeah. Like, this was never going to be enough. Right. This place right. was never going to be enough. Yes. Yes. That's kind of it. And I. Is it, I mean, I don't know where, like, it comes from, like, having, and, and you talk to a lot of writers, so maybe it's very common, but I don't know if I had this constant, mon- it was just this constant observational humor in yeah. my head, always, yeah. always, before I even knew that that could translate to any kind of writing. Right. It was just, and, and it just is a constant, do you, are you that way? I, yeah, like, I, okay. I narrate life. Yeah, I tell people exactly. all the time, like. We'll be do and, and before I was married, um, when I would be on dates and things like that, I would, I, my date might do something, and I would say, "Oh, here's the moment where you decided <laughs> that you like me." Like you just like that. Exter- oh, so you would say it out loud? Yeah, oh. just externally because I'm writing nonfiction, so there's always right. this like external narrator. Right. And I can't tell you how many people in my life have said like that is really weird that you do that. And I'm like, well, the world is just a book to me. Yeah. Like this is the moment where that happened. Right. And if I'm wrong, you can tell me, but. Yeah. I'm generally not – I pay attention. That's funny. So, yeah. So, I think that the narrator takes different right. forms. Yeah. But – Mine is more of like a humor column constantly yeah. or, a, or a social commentary. But you don't say it out loud. No. Really? No. So, you, you, people just think you're crazy because you're <laughs> laughing to yourself. <laughs> well, a lot of it is after. A lot of it is after or – yeah, maybe. <laughs> like right now, like I've been thinking about it since I got here about, you know, you come in and you go, but I haven't like said anything to you because yeah. it's just this internal sort of yeah, so process. Yeah, silently judge people. Uh, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you graduate high school. Yeah. Um, and where do you go to college? University of Oklahoma. So you travel far senior. away. Right? Well, two, yeah, it was two hours about. Yeah, for me, that was far away. You were not going to stay home. But <laughs> I was like, not staying home. No. And, and, uh, what did you study? Journalism. Oh, shit. What a mistake that is. 
<laughs> I know. I know. My daughter, she's 14, and she says, I might study journalism. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Tell her to come learn it from me. Yeah, I there you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, no, and actually, it's funny because I, I was gravitated towards women's issues, women's uh-huh. studies. Uh-huh. And I did. And uh, my senior year, I found out that I was one hour away from having a minor in yeah. women's studies. So I have an emphasis in women's yeah. studies. I, I, I was uh, two credits or two classes shy of a women's studies. Really? I was the first guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the women were not happy. Yeah, but that was a good place to be if you're straight. My college girlfriend was a that was what she did. And yeah, she would talk about stuff that I didn't know. So yeah. I, I literally took the minors so that I could understand what she said. That's great. And then, but except for that, everybody there told me what a terrible human being they. Oh. They brought her in one time and asked if I was abusing her. What? Because like, was I taking classes to know what? And I was like, I'm just oh. trying to understand. Like, no. Like I'm from a small town. I yeah. don't like girls think. Like I don't. You know, like I feel like I should learn this. This seems funny. Like, oh shit! They think I beat her. I don't like what they think. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, so you, journalism with an emphasis in women's studies. Yes. What, what were you going to do? Well, I might. <laughs> I had no idea. I was the classic clueless. I mean, I, I literally, and in, in on my website, I say um, life stumbler because I feel like so much I've stumbled into yeah. things. Um, but I, I really had no clue. I got a scholarship uh, my freshman year in, at college in the journalism. So I thought, well, I guess if I've got a little money, I might as well go into that. I'm having no idea. <laughs> <laughs> what it would be, and I didn't want to be a reporter, so I ended up um, going through the public relations track. Uh, and then my senior year, I I was I got a job in the student publication, so I was like a typesetter yeah. and all that stuff. And um, I'll have to explain to yeah, the audience. Explain what, that what a typesetter yeah, is. Later on. Back when they used to paste up the pages. Yeah. That's yeah. when I started. We still put them on the wall. Oh yeah. Exacto knife. Oh yeah, and then the wax machine. Yeah. Yeah. And um. So I got to know all the the newspaper staff, the magazine staff, you know, everything. And and, uh, it was before my senior year, the summer before my senior year, the woman that was named editor, young woman that was named editor, she approached me and she said, you're so funny. Have you ever thought about writing a humor column? Everybody keeps telling you that you're funny. I know. See? Isn't that that funny? It is funny, (laughs) And so she said, have you ever thought about writing a humor column? Because I'd love for you to have a column in the paper. And it was a really good student newspaper. And I said, well, no. She said, why don't you write something up and submit it, and then if you like it, I'm going to hire you as a humor write, humor columnist. So, of course, I ran home and, and what's a humor columnist? Right. And, uh, I was Not so realizing clueless. it's the narrator in your head. Exactly. You've already, it was already there. Yeah. And so I went home and I wrote something, and she read it, and she giggled and loved it and clapped her hands and said, you're going to be a humor columnist. And so I, they gave me a Friday spot because my last name is Freed, and so they called it Freed at Last. Yeah. On Fridays, and yes, and one promo picture even... Somebody was very happy when they wrote that. Yeah. They were like, yes, this will be... Read at last. her into stardom. Exactly. Yes, and we see how that happens. <laughs> You're in an office in Carmel. Anyway, so I, my point is, is that a lot of things I kind of stumbled into, yeah. and uh, it was great. But even then, I was so clueless. I graduated and thought, okay, well, now what do I do? Yeah. It never dawned on me to actually. But like you could keep writing. Exactly. So what did you do? I got a lot of, I was in corporate communications. I did a right. lot of jobs. So you did a different kind of humor writing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was a reporter. I know how that. You yeah. do. Yeah. 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 World-changing ideas <laughs> coming to me all the time. Exactly. Yeah. An industry yeah. leader. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
and I found a niche kind of in nonprofits, and I lived yeah. in Kansas City for a while and did a lot of work with nonprofits, magazines, newsletters. The Kansas side or the Missouri side? Both. Yeah, I lived okay. on both, but I'm, I mainly That's worked in good, Missouri. Right? See, I've, been, I've been to Kansas I'm City. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> My best friend is family lives there. So okay. It's yeah. an okay. awesome city. It is. It's weird. It's a, there's some, uh, I know it was having some trouble with, you know, with the economy crash. Like yeah. Some bad stuff went down there. But it is an interesting, it's a river town. Right? Yeah. And, yeah, it's it's developed along there a lot more yeah. since I've left. It's but it's it's got some really great great areas yeah. and it's fun. Barbecue, barbecue, yeah. yes. The plaza, fountains. Yeah. So what? So you, how long did you do corporate communication? You still do corporate. Uh, communication. Well, I, I I still do. I um, took a break. I um, gosh, how many years? I did. I worked. I did a lot of freelance. I did stuff for Kansas City Star. I did stuff for Hallmark corporate. Yeah. Uh, and then I um, worked for some associations there. And then when I <laughs> I moved to Indianapolis, I can't even remember how many years ago now. It's been about 20 years. And um, no, maybe not quite that long, 22 years, 23. Um, I uh, decided I'd go back and get my master's degree in counseling. Uh-huh. <laughs> Big shift <Yeah>. there. <laughs> And so for a while I was a. Uh, Did you have you like watch Newhart and you were like he's funny. <laughs> he's funny. He does monologues <laughs> like I don't want to be a psychiatrist. Oh my I guess gosh. He was a psychologist. Yeah. What? Uh, <laughs> whatever. I don't know what. I I think I was just tired of the corporate world yeah. and I had always been attracted to mental health, which you know isn't it funny? Really? Yeah. I mean, voices in your head. I think exactly. Like, oh, maybe I'm crazy. Yeah, maybe I, I need to find people. out about this. But I think that we gravitate to those things, I think right? So, like, too. so do you think that you were trying to? figure out why you didn't fit in like why you felt like there was something bigger like do you think that is what drew you to that no i think um i think it was more i mentioned that my parents were in education yep. and my aunts and uncles and i'm, I'm in almost everybody that i knew relative wise my grandparents or my grandmother anyway they were either teachers or educators of some form and i always kind of admired that but i yeah. knew i didn't want to be a teacher there's yeah. no way it's terrible yeah it, and, and i just didn't have the personality to be a teacher mm-hmm. and um i think you absolutely do <laughs> yeah again the non-awareness of yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> but uh it helps to not be aware of what people think about you when you're teaching yeah. i will just tell you <laughs> Well, so I, I, I don't know. I think it was more that, really. And I'd kind of always been fascinated with the field, but I didn't want to be a psychiatrist yeah. or psychologist. So I thought, well, hey, I'll be a counselor in a school system and help people, right? <laughs> I know. And you laugh. They're wonderful, but, like, you can't do anything. Like, they're so hamstrung exactly. by what they can do. That's what I found out. Yeah. Like, when so I you have... just do stuff, and then later on you're like, I should have looked this up. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go into journalism because there's money. Like, there's, there's no money. There's no money. Yeah. I'm going to help people. Shit. Exactly. I'm not allowed to do anything. Yeah. That is kind of a theme in my life. You sort of jump in and then yeah. figure it out. Yeah. And I don't regret any of it yeah. because I did love the moments when you were with a student. And I, yeah. did, I did love the students. But you're right. Like, the more... Um, what you really need to do something is when you find out how little right, you can right. do it. And, and that's... If you have any empathy at all... It's not a thing you can do for a long time. Yeah, it, it's very difficult, yeah. and and also you're you, you know you're trained to be a mental health counselor yeah. in the school system, and then you get the job, and you're mainly doing administrative yeah. work, and that's very frustrating. As a, as a teacher, like I joke a lot. Well, I taught. Um, I was trained to teach uh, middle school kids that couldn't read, like kids that were flunking out of school. Yeah, and so. You know, you just, I would just, my classes, I used to call them the sweat hogs. Like, it was like every kid that didn't fit into the model 
was in my class. They weren't dumb. They just maybe were chatty or, um, you know, couldn't sit still or had a bad home life and had yeah. never been taught how to right. do stuff. And you just, I, you try to help them, but you know they're going to go back into an environment right. for which nothing you've done is going to be supported. Right. And so, like, it's Groundhog's Day. Every day they come in and you know you have to do more stuff. Like, but you can't. Yeah. You can't. You can't talk to them outside of school because, and as a single guy, I was like, oh yeah, I, I, everybody just assumed I was a pedophile. Yeah, right. Like, right. what do you want to teach? You know, twelve year olds. Yeah. So it was frustrating. It becomes really hard to mm-hmm. do that job. Um, and like I said, I think if you have any empathy at all, right. how long did you do that? Uh, I think three, four years. Yeah, I mean, like that's a that's, right. that is about a threshold mm-hmm. for a lot of people that. Three, yeah. Year. Well, I also it was about the time when I started having children, yeah. and my husband uh, traveled a lot at the time, yeah. and and I was a, kind of like a single mom. Yeah. And so you also like you had the siblings, but weren't single. Like, yeah. Yeah. Got married, got like a single mom. So the narrator, and then in alone time. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And then there was the um, you know, the insane time when you're yeah. a, when you're a young a mother with young kids yeah. and you're not you're sleep deprived. And yeah. so I was also probably clinically insane yeah. at that point. How many how many kids do you have? Two. Okay. And what you said one was a girl. Uh, she's now fourteen, and one is a boy. He's twelve. Yeah. And neither one of them were good sleepers. Neither yeah. one of them. So I was sleep deprived for a number of years. Yeah. So, so that's when I started freelancing after I was staying at home for a while. So now, so so you're married. Now you have kids, and now now you think now's a good time for me to start writing. Like now I got some time to myself. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So, so much. Well, I didn't until they were a little bit older, but I was going a little bit crazy. Yeah. I did, you know. So I I started freelancing, and then I got a um, a humor. A humor column and uh, some magazines up in the. Um, so said, you know, you're funny. You yeah. can write some funny stuff. I and I love. Still not listening. I, still not listening still to anybody. Still not listening. I know. And I did. But it was a, It was when I started really enjoying it and kind yeah. of owning up to it and and. Where where where? where, where well, it was with the at Geist and at uh, Carmel publication. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But then I got so then a friend um, that I knew who was a re- reporter at the Star said we'd love for you to start contributing. To us, yeah. the Indianapolis Star, which was great, and I did both for a while, but then just some things happened between the the, the one, the magazine that didn't like me doing both anymore, and so I went with the new. With even the, though they paid you like four dollars. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Like, but paid don't, me nothing. don't write in other places. But don't write in other places, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And, uh, I love the modern publishing world. It's crazy. Yeah. You isn't don't get it? any money, but don't fucking no money. talk to anybody exactly. else. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I know. Yeah. We're not giving you anything, but you'd be loyal to us. Yeah, please sign this two-year non-compete. Exactly. So then I, so then I started doing stuff for the Star in hopes that there would be an opportunity to do a humor column with yeah. them, and I think that never flourished. I yeah. mean, for a lot of reasons. And Gannett is funny in a different oh way. Oh my! <laughs> oh my! Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, I went from you know, from. You don't have to burn your bridges. I, okay. and I already fight. No, right no, there. no, no. But it's just that I, you know, I, I went in thinking that I was going to be able to do certain things, and yeah. then I ended up just being a contributor for basic, you know, things to do on New Year's Eve stories, right. and it just wasn't what I wanted to sure. do. So anyway, I mean, it was great. Yeah, it, I always experience. find it interesting, like coming from journalism. Um, and I was a tech guy. I mean, I, I've worked online for twenty years, and whenever people tell me that the internet killed. 
newspapers. I said, no, no, shitty writing is still newspapers. <laughs> like, you not talking about any, right, like, doing anything interesting kills newspapers. Yeah, yeah. Because if you do, people will read you. And if you don't, certainly the internet doesn't help the business model, but let's also look at maybe not doing inverted pyramids <laughs> on. Oh, my gosh. Like, like, on, like, every school. Right. Um, board meeting. Right. Uh, and that's it's and God love them. Like my friends, reporters, like people, they do amazing work. But like right. the industry doesn't think in terms of they want a list of things to do on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Well, I can find that anywhere. <laughs> that's not particularly. And I'm guessing when you yeah. sat down to do a few of those, you could bang them out. Like they were mindless. Yeah. Well, it, you they try were, to make them not. Yeah. But. Well, the, the the hardest part is the 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 leg the legwork to get the information. Right. And that take that can take hours yeah. upon hours, and it's not anything creative. Yeah. Right. So it's just it, you can pound out hours. the information. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's just yeah. There's a point where it's just not worth it. Yeah. So trying to do other things. Yeah. So so when did the when when did the idea of this one woman show? Because at the end of the. Uh, Several people came up to me at the end of the jam, which is why I told you to, that I wanted to put that video up, even though there was the hiccup in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was very clear that there was a point of view or that it, it emanated from something that had happened in your life. Right. Right? Like, because it was very much about, like, just be, like, be yourself. Right. Like, it's, who you are. Right. So... From a, now that I've heard this story of like being not self-aware of how people actually view you, yeah. Right? So what what drives that? What drives the show? What what drove that message? Well, a lot of it. I mean, and and I kind of touched on that when you saw me, but if you saw the whole show, you'd you'd know more. Yeah. But um, you know, growing up in that town, it really was like the movie Footloose. It really was, okay. and I'll never forget. So we didn't have you know any school dances because of the religion thing. Really. Oh, no, um, because, you know, the, a lot of the major uh, denominations in the t- in the town were, they didn't believe in dancing. Mm-hmm. They did think it was sinful. And so, and they were also on the board of the school. And my junior year, when, because in the school, um, the juniors put on the senior um, banquet. That's what it was, senior banquet. <laughs> so, and I was an officer. And so, we, we got a, we got a um, petition. That we want to have have a prom. She didn't take shit even back then. <laughs> I guess not. I guess not. In the story, you were Kevin Bacon. <laughs> well, I guess kind of. Yeah. I guess kind of. I was. kind of. Like. <laughs> See, I'm so glad you're pointing out all these things about my life. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we we went to the board, who a lot of them were of the denominations that didn't believe in dancing, and it was it was it was they. One man sat across the table with his arms crossed across his chest. And it was like, oh, I'm going to entertain you, but yeah. I'm going to listen to you, but don't think for a minute that I'm going to take you seriously. And we petitioned and we proposed to have our first prom, and they it's they denied. So we got parents to sponsor the first junior-senior dance. Really? After the banquet, yeah. But, um, but okay, so, so that's... So this sticks with you? Like, this is a well, thing that... Well, what, what it was is there was a lot of um, judgment in the town. Yeah. I remember... Uh, one of my friends who was a uh, Baptist, and it was a fundamentalist Baptist yeah. kind of thing, they would have meetings, and they would literally list the kids in school that they thought needed to be saved. <laughs> Anytime people start making a list of yeah. kids, people, I kids, yeah. historically, that makes me uncomfortable. Exactly. <laughs> and she would come to me and tell me who was on the list, and then 
um, she would c- to get me to try to go to revivals. And yeah. I'm not just saying her, but I mean, that's just kind of how that it was. was. Yeah. Right. And um, it was stifling, so stifling. Yeah. And I didn't understand it. And I, and I mentioned this in the show that, you know, I was a Methodist and yeah. we were crazy liberals, you know. And, um, Imagine how they think about me. I'm an atheist. I, <laughs> I would have been on everybody's yeah, list. You, would, you probably couldn't have lived in the town. Yeah. That's just all there is to it. I come from, yeah. <laughs> I actually know exactly how it is. Yeah. yeah. And it was more of that. And yeah. um, Do you think that that is what shaped the human? Do you think that's what like carved oh, and monologue in your head? I think I think it definitely had an influence. And yeah. Like, it stays internal because oh, you yeah. know in that environment you can't really voice those kinds of things. Yeah, and I mean my parents were, you know, open minded you know, yeah. they were and it's not like I, I mean, don't find those people to be bad. Like yeah, I always no, take I get them it. In, yeah. the, in the in the uh, I had a student a former student the other day send me a note and said she was praying for my soul and I said I I take those things from the place where you give them. Yeah. I don't funnel them through my viewpoint. Right. It is, I appreciate the, right. what you're saying. So yes. I make fun of that, but I don't mean to make fun of it. My, uh, yeah. My family is very, they're believers. Uh-huh. Um, but it has shaped, I know growing up in that environment has shaped yes. my wit. Yes. Without For sure. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Because it comes from everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you think the writing is is a response to that? Like that? I think so, and I think you know, I had a my my parents got divorced when I was um, fifth grade, mm-hmm. and they both remarried. Um, by the time I was in eighth grade, both of them were remarried, but it was a very um, mess around. No, they did well. <laughs> they were out and back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, and it was a nasty divorce, and it was, and and and, and the thing is, the timing of it was because my siblings were older. It was yeah. about the time they were ready to go off. <laughs> And so I went from a family, like, within within a year or two, um, my only two living grandparents I'd ever known died. Yeah. My parents got divorced. And then my my brother went off to college. My sister went off to live with my dad. Yeah. And so I went from a family of five and an extended family to a family of two. Yeah. And it was not it was not a real smooth childhood for me. So and, you um, stayed with your mom. I did. Yeah. And you know they there wasn't a lot of people talk. There was no Doctor Fields, yeah. and people didn't. Right. We didn't know a lot back you then. Sucked it up and worked it out. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Nobody talked about it really. Right. You know, very little talking about. It. Anyway, and so that was also something that I know had a huge impact. Yeah. And um, I spent a lot of time alone. Yeah. Uh, my mom was working full time. She always did, and um, spent a lot of time alone. Yeah, I think that's characteristic of writers. Really? Did yeah. you spend a lot of time alone? I did. I mean, I lived in the country. We lived in the um, in Appalachia. There yeah. was like twelve families in my neighborhood, and wow. so I have I have all of my writing and games that I used to make. I I could play video games with each hand against myself. <laughs> Really? Yeah, Atari. Oh, uh, not that Atari is... in television. The one that had the 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 it had twelve buttons, four buttons on the side, and a circular pad, and I could play it with both hands. That's Impressive. How alone, that's how alone that I was. <laughs> that's some, right? that's some mad video skills. It is. My dad used to come in and like just years later he said like I always knew you could do whatever you wanted. I just didn't know what that was going to be because you could do all this weird shit. But it was growing up right by myself. I had yeah. to entertain. Yeah. I read books. Um. I got on the internet, I had a computer, I was 84, like I was 12, and I was talking to people around the world before most people were doing that. Right. And writing. Yeah. And it was always like, the books transported me to other places. Mm-hmm. The internet allowed me to see that there was actually shit outside, like I yeah. knew, but like, then I was <laughs> seeing it, and then I would sort of create that response. Right. I almost got 
suspended my junior year in high school for writing a, a blasphemous piece of fiction. Ooh, yeah, really? Yeah. What was it about? It's called The End of Time. It was about, um, it's actually about like what string theory is, um, which is that the universe was ending and these scientists were trying to figure out how they could survive the, the new Big Bang. Um, and they, you know, it was Dr. Adam Lee and Evelyn something and you know, <laughs> Damian Lewis, right? Like there's these three scientists going across and the people that survive are Adam Eve and the devil. Yeah. Well, that was, it's supposed to be a two page assignment and I wrote 30 pages. <laughs> wow. Right, oh, I was a writer, right? That's the only thing right? I was a writer and I got called into the office that like, maybe you shouldn't be writing about like why religion is fake. Really? Yeah. I mean. I don't think it was serious, but there was a conversation yeah. about it. But that was just how I expressed right. the sort of – that was when I realized, like, those kinds of things were that, – that concerned people. Yeah. And I thought, I know, should I have to do this? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, this is a – because I can't do it in my life. Right. So I need – that was my outlet. Right. Um, and I never stopped. But you – so you – but you stopped. You weren't writing. Like, you sort of – came in and out of yeah, the I, personal writing. I came in and out. Now, I always did, and this is something I look back and think, oh, another. Oh. Yeah. I always did stuff like I'd have a friend that would go maybe on a long trip. Yeah. And so I'd write I'd write a letter to, to her or him I'd, yeah. and, and then I'd seal it and say, you can't read this until you get on the plane. Yeah. And then it would be something like thing, fun things to do yeah. on an airplane. And then it would be... Like things to do on New Year's Eve. Like you were riding yeah, a column. Well, but it wasn't... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Only it wasn't serious. No, right. it would be like, you know, lead a lead your aisle on a Broadway show sing-along. You know, right. it would be socially unacceptable, yeah. crazy things yeah. to make them laugh, yeah. you know? And then they would call and say, oh my gosh, I laughed the whole way, yeah. you know? I was doing things like that all the time. Yeah. Um, but I just didn't make that connection that I could find a way to do that, yeah. you know, in a, in a way that would be published. Yeah. So, so, so you do the show, we're jumping ahead now. So you, yeah. the Indie Fringe happens, what, two years ago, three years ago? It was a year ago, August. Yeah. So you find out that this is going to happen and you just say, fuck it, I'm writing a, pl- I'm writing a, one, well, a one woman show. <laughs> I had this idea in my head and I didn't know if it was going to be a one woman show or, I mean, it was kind of stand up, but not really. I don't yeah. want, I don't consider myself yeah. a stand up and I did but it was this idea of going back and talking about all these things right. about it's the how I grew model. up. Yeah. Right. And so I saw the submissions, and I remember I called my brother, and I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm thinking about submitting. You know, most people would actually, like, have written something. Right, right, right. right. Or been trained but or not like, me. anything. Right. And right. I said, I think, I, you know, I think, and I just had a gut feeling that this is something that I could do. Yeah. And, and he's like, go for it. And so I, I came up with the, the name, propo- you know, the, the everything about it. Yeah having not written it, but nobody right. knew, right. and submitted it and thought, no way. Well, I actually, because I waited, of course, till the day before the deadline. Right. And you so, are a writer. Because, right, of yeah. course. And Only thing better if you'd gotten drunk and done it. Like exactly. That would have been yeah. awesome, wouldn't it? Yes. <laughs> Had a shot of tequila. Right. And um, so then, so I got a call and said, well, we're full, but you're on a waiting list. And I'm like, Ugh, figures. And then, of course, I was mad right. because, you know. But then they called back and they said, we just had somebody cancel. We'd love to see your show. So then I was like, I had to write it. <laughs> so you didn't, even, you didn't work on it until, oh, no. until you got in. Oh. So people will hate you if you get really successful. Uh-huh. Be like, what did you do? Like, oh, I, I just threw some <laughs> shit together. But I didn't. I mean, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I spent so much. Yeah. And it, like, you can't backtrack out of this. You now. can't. Like, <laughs> there, was, there was no way. Yeah, there was no way I was going to stand up on a stage and not have it done. Yeah. So it had to happen. And this was probably... 
April. And when was the frame? August. Yeah. So, so, so we had a 60-minute show to write, produce, perform. Yeah. And did you workshop it? Did you, like, do stuff? No. You just did what you did in I studied, in front of a mirror. Well, I studied um, – I wouldn't say studied. That's a strong word. Yeah. I observed um, Carrie Fisher. I love Carrie Fisher. Uh-huh. I love – you know, so I um, – Observed a lot of women's uh-huh. stuff. I looked at uh, Sarah Silverman, a lot of different people, and and kind of got a feel. But but I knew in my head the what I wanted to do, and it was explore this link between dancing as a symbol, yep. um, and then how I learned because I love to, to dance, and I'm a I, I you know, and I make fun of myself because obviously I'm not a professional dancer. Yep. But anyway, um, but we can now learn that doesn't <laughs> actually stop you no, from anything. Doesn't really. Yeah. So I decided I'd have these different decades of, of you know, talk about the different um, important kind of big moments yeah. that happened to me and kind of a le- and how they linked to dancing. That's kind of this common theme. And then I transitioned from each decade with some music and um, a pair of shoes. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of became this, you know, one of the lessons is, you know, you don't judge people until you can dance on their shoes. Yeah. And, um but but yeah, and I actually had you know I, people are going to really hate me because I I had a I had a version written that I hated, you know you can't just go through, and I it just wasn't clicking, and I don't think it clicked literally until June yeah. mid June, and then I didn't like the version. I didn't have a version that I loved and that I was happy with until mid July, yeah. and then I had to perform it in August. So it's also cognitive dissonance, like, well, out of time, like, this is the best version I can yes. do, right? Like, but it, well, I was happy, happy with it. I was happy did with you, it. Did you do it for, other, like, did, were other people reading it? Like, um, you that do what apparently you do, which is, like, just do everything by yourself and, like, <laughs> unveil it to, like, ta-da. <laughs> well, that's funny because I did just, it was just me. And then I have a really good friend, um, Destra Garcia, who... She um, kind of said, um, you want me to listen to that? And I'm like, ah. I'm and good. then, I'm good. I'm good. I do this shit in front of the mirror for 30 years. Well, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> Clown. Clown. I'm fine. Exactly. Yeah. I have an award that tells you. <laughs> and then. Um, you and your feedback. I know. Exactly. Who needs that? And then, um, so, which I've got it because I got interviewed by, um, oh, gosh, no, I can't think of his name. Um, art critic. uh is it Harvey? Oh my gosh, boy, my head's gone. He he went with the star, but then he retired. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But um, so so then something did click in my brain. Um, you probably should run it by. Yeah. So I was probably the the two weeks before, and I had it mostly ready. I went to her house, and she had a friend over, and um, I went through it, and I knew. I mean, it was. I mean. I know this sounds so naive and stupid, but she and she and I trusted her to give yeah. me honest feedback, and she did give me a, a couple of things. But I did perform it for her, and um, it was great. And, and I mean, great by I got through it, and I felt like it was strong yeah. still. And she gave me some good feedback. And then I can't remember. I think I did it for one other person, and then that was it. And so then, and then I went. <laughs> you just did it. I just did it. And, yeah. It's it, pretty lucky to be able to do that without lots of, I mean, most people go through lots of edits and processes. And, and I did. I mean, I did go through some I mean, major, with other people. Oh, right, 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 right. Well, uh, another guy who was a performer, uh, he, he did his first one-man show. He had a producer. He had a bunch of people. Yeah. 
Well, this so back to this interview. Yeah. So this, um, I think it's Jay Harvey. That's yeah. Jay Harvey. That anyway, it doesn't matter. He he called to interview me for a piece, of, and he goes, "So who's your producer?" Um, well, I guess that's me. Uh, well, okay. So who's your? Uh, he asked me something else. I'm like, um, that would be me. And he goes, "No, wait a minute. You've n- you've not really done this before." So they thought this was going to be no. a disaster. Yeah, and and it's when it's when the fear set in because yeah. and, and and friends kept saying and I mentioned this earlier, you're so brave. Yeah, translation stupid. Yeah. and so I, you know, part of after that interview and I and I got off the phone and I was like, holy shit, what have I done? What have I done? It's out there, can't turn back. Right. It's interesting though. I, was, I, I, I talk about this with people that. So, how how old are you? Like in the in the neighborhood, like I'm 42. Are we close? I'm older, a little older. But we're in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So like, we didn't have maker culture when I grew up. Like this, there's a maker culture now. Like we're uh, like DIY stuff. There's magazines. Oh right, yes. Do shit. Like this is what I tell my kids. Like if you wanted to do a zine, you got some typing paper and you wrote shit and you right. copied it at Kinko's and you passed it out. Like yeah. it wasn't a. You didn't say like, well, I have to do this right. Right. You just. And did it, yeah. And then when you were done, you never said like, "Well, my readers expect another one." Like you put out another one yeah. whenever you had something else to say. Exactly. And it seems today that we even tried to professionalize that. Yeah. Like, well, if you're going to do something, it needs to be designed. It needs right. To be look, instead of just the right the process. Um, and that's sort of it. That's that, right? Like, well, yeah. who's going to produce it? Well, like, right. Fucking, it's just me doing my thing. Like, right. I don't know. How, the jam is very much a. I don't mm-hmm. know what it's going to be like. Yeah. I specifically don't give people advice because I want them, right, to do their thing. Yeah. It's scary. Well, and it would have helped to know that it was like judging and was involved. Yeah, I don't tell people that. <laughs> and in the round, threw me off. Yeah. But that's part of it. But that's very right? unnatural for me to talk to somebody and have my back to them. Yeah. And so that, and I didn't think it threw me off until later. And I'm like, that threw me off. Yeah. But, but that's okay. But that's the joy for me. Right. I don't want polished stuff. Yeah. I yeah. want there to be, because. You the, want people to stand up and forget what they're saying, like I did. I want them to, <laughs> yeah, but what was the response when that happened? Everybody started, if you yeah, watched, they did. everybody they did. started clapping and yeah. the support for yeah, that yeah. was like, no, no, come back. That was it. nice. And then you came back and it was like, yeah. it was only three hours to you. Right. In the real world, it was five seconds. Yeah. And that brought, that audience came yeah. in because. Everything we see today is polished. Yeah. Everything. You can't it's hardly true. find a thing that's not. And I want something that's not because raw is better. Well, and you know, I, I don't know how you are about this. I, Unless it's mine. It's polished. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's fucked all that stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're going to do it again. Yeah. Um, I have always been better when I'm, and I don't mean unedited. I, I love editors to come in and change what needs to be changed. But when I'm writing, like when I was working on a book and, and the direction I was taking was, well, that won't sell, that won't sell, yeah. that won't sell. And, and when you start, you know, when I, when I didn't have anybody, a gatekeeper for me on my own show, and that's partly, that was another reason why I did it because I was tired of trying to get my work out there and always somebody was either telling me yeah. no or somebody was wanting to change. Right. Well, this is what I mean. Yeah, right. I know. That's, yeah. I'm, yes. And that's, that speaks to me because with the show, I thought, you know, screw this. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to say how I want to say it, mm-hmm. and I'll either I'll either succeed or fail. But right. it'll be mine, and nobody else. And I can't say, well, I wanted to do this, but right. I couldn't. Right. And to me, that was like the biggest freedom and the biggest joy, and it turned out, you know, to be good. And so, 
so that made that it was great. It was scary as hell. I mean, it's one of the hardest things I've ever right. done. Scariest things I've ever done. And the most rewarding things I've ever done. Right. So, but that's how that works. Right. right. That's exactly right. And, you know, the, Jared at the jam, when he got done, he came up and he said the same thing to me. He's like, I'm a fiction writer. I've never just told a story to a crowd before. And yeah. he's like, that's the most raw shit I've ever yeah. done in my whole life. And I thought, yeah, that's right. That's what I want because so much of at least the writing, at least when you're doing books, um, edited, edited, right. designed, back. And, like, it's – the and it's better. The writing is generally better if you have a good – but, you know, my writing partner and I always talk about this. Like, you feel your humanity being sucked out of the word. Yes. Right? The first yes. draft is always the one that you're closest to. Yes. But it's not always the best one. And the jam, I want to be a draft in public. Yeah. It uh, was. Yeah. <laughs> and how many literary events have you – like, after the show, we had 25 people that went to dinner. That's, yeah, that was so much fun. Right. Like, that was so much fun. Yes. Goes, you don't go to a polished thing and they're like, fuck it, let's keep going. I like, know. It's that raw exactly. thing that I think is so interesting. Yeah. Um, and so doing that one-woman show, uh, you created that. You you yes. actually did that same kind of. Yes. And you know what else that I found? This is really interesting because, like, with the, you know, the interview that I had with it, and he kept trying to find out what, I, you know, what right. exactly. Well, then. Like, this can't be true. I know. And then when, <laughs> like, leading up to the show, you do a lot of promos. You go places. Yeah. You do a little bit or whatever, which, um, I don't know. I always felt uncomfortable doing that because it was just kind of weird. But anyway, people would always say, so you're a stand-up. And I'm like, well, no, yeah. I'm really not, you right. know. It's like calling Garrison Keillor a fan. Exactly. Right. And, and, and and they want a pigeon. So, right. actually, I reworked when I'd come out and kind of banter before I'd actually start the show. I started telling, and this is a story that happened. A, a woman um, came up to me on the sidewalk uh, before uh, one of my shows, and she said, <laughs> she, she said, hey, come dance with me. Because that's the name of yeah, my show, yeah. come dance with me. But first, can I borrow your pants? And so, I hear this, hey, come dance with me. And I looked around like what you know and she runs up to me and she's a sassy i would say 60 year old or something she had spiky gray hair and really cute cute woman and she said i'm going to come to your show and and i'm trying to figure out you know what you are who you are and i just you know i laughed i said yeah i try to figure that out every day (laughs) she said no really are you are you is this a stand-up and i said no not really are you a storyteller not really. Yeah. And See? I know, oh, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I said, you know, I'm, I I love stand-up, but that's kind of like joke after joke, and I'm funny, but I'm also, yeah. hopefully you think I'm funny, and I'm also poignant and all that. Well, anyway, so I ended up saying, um, um, I'm a writer with performance tendencies. Yeah. And she liked that, and I like that, and that's kind of what I tell people, yeah. you know, because I do like to do both, but I, but I you know, people try to pigeonhole, yeah. pigeonhole you into, what, okay, well, what are you exactly? Yeah. And... So that's the best I could come up with. Yeah, it's – I tell my um, – I started off as a feature writer. I used to hang out with, like, bike gangs and um, graffiti artists that, like, painted the sewers and, like, ran from cops. Like, that was the shit that I wrote. But I also knew this technology stuff. Yeah. And so that got me jobs. Well, in the world, I'm a technology journalist. Yeah. And I always think, like, to do the Appalachian book, I had to leave everything and start over. Like, mm-hmm. because – Right. I'm a technology guy. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. That was a fucking accident. Like, I happened to <laughs> oh, also you know stumbled, that. you stumbled into that, too. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, because you need a job. And, right. Um, at that time, nobody was doing it. So there wasn't a whole lot of people to climb over. I yeah. went high in my career quickly because 
nobody wants to do technology stuff. Right. But, you know, now you, I, people ask, and they're like, well, why could you write the Appalachian book? I'm like, well, fucking, I'm, I'm from there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's why. Like, just because I know how to use a computer doesn't mean I can't also write that story. So right. Part of that professional amateurism that we've talked about, that freedom of not having that label. Right. Because you try right. to get an agent, you try to get a publisher, and they always the first thing they say is like, why can you sell into this market? Exactly. You're like, well, that's not my... Yeah. I don't give a shit. How many followers good. do you have? Right. What's your platform? Right. And yep. like, well, are they are they people that would then like buy this kind of book? Exactly. And it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but that gets back to that maker culture. I just feel like we live in a time today when people expect you to have a vision and plan. And right. Like, well, I talk about this because I do public speaking too, yeah. and, I, and I talk about the elevator pitch. Yeah. I don't have one. I can't explain what I do in 30 seconds or less or whatever. And I, I remember when that was really big. I don't even know what when that was like the thing to do. But I tell people, why, why do you have to have an elevator pitch? Yeah. I've never gotten a job or an opportunity because I met somebody in the elevator. Right. And explain myself in 30 seconds. It's been over conversations that last. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of it. Like you have to be prepared to be this person who can say, I do X, Y, and Z. And this is what I can do yeah. for you. And I just don't – I don't know that that's a good thing. No, and I totally so. find myself doing that. Um, like I I call it the resume. Like when I meet people, I'm like, no, oh, Berkeley, MIT. Like I go through the list. Right. Like, no, fucking trust me. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I swear to God, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but my long-term collaborations, like I don't ever – we don't ever worry about any of that. Stuff. Right. Like, you know, my writing partner and I have been fooling around for – 15 years. Yeah. And we just kind of come in and out of whenever things happen. Mm -hmm. um, and that we always laugh because we used to talk about how we were going to make it. And now we're like, how can we make sure that nobody fucking wants to buy our stuff? <laughs> like, like, we just need to do our thing. Yeah. And figure that it will right. sort of work itself out. Yeah. Um, so, what's next? What, like, what now? Well, that's a good question. I still, I mean, I do. A two woman show? <laughs> I'd like to do another one. I almost did one um, this year, and I um, almost, almost. But well, I, I had a, I had another idea in my head, you know. So I could have submitted like it. Have more than one, <laughs> I think yeah. probably so. But the but the you know the, the the time and the physical and mental drain it takes. And now knowing like oh shit yeah yeah I need exactly a yeah exactly. <laughs> I am. Well, I, it's funny, though, because I would not do – my first one was pretty ambitious considering that I had no help. I mean, it was music. There was some props involved. Yeah. and Well, I remember you asked if you could bring props and yeah, stuff to yeah, the yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, what are you talking about? No. Yeah. And it was but, – but the next one will be the only – I might do a, um, a felt board. You know, the I old felt boards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that would be simple. Uh, yeah, Sunday school. I totally yeah. Felt See, don't you like, love felt yeah. board? Nobody, I don't know if anybody uses them. Anymore, yeah. I love felt boards. Yeah. That's the only thing that I would use, and it would be very simple and easy, and it'd be yeah. more, more less production ish yeah. and more simple. More like Wobegon. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so why don't you do it? I, it sounds so like excusey, but I just didn't have a time this year. Yeah. And I, I, my corporate. I still do corporate uh, work, yeah. and, and that's kind of picked up, which is great because, like, you get paid for that. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but it leaves very little time for the creative. And yeah. the, uh, so, you know, and, and I do, I, I have a, I would like to, and see, this is, again, doing things completely opposite. I really would like to write a book off of my yeah. show. Usually there's a book and then somebody makes yeah. a show, but I would like to do a book. Um, and I kind of mentioned before we 
uh, we recorded this that I um, had a, an agent for a while, for a while, which didn't turn out to be a great positive experience for me. But um, so I, I did have a nonfiction book that I was ready to propose, and I look back now and I. I it's funny because I don't know if you go through the stages. You think something's really great. I, this is just yeah. the most fantastic thing I've ever written. Now it's the biggest piece of shit. Ever. Exactly. It hasn't changed at all. Exactly. Yeah. But then, then maybe two or three months, you look and yeah. go, "Oh, well, that was that was kind of good." You yeah. know, I don't know. I go I back never and come forth. back. Yeah. Oh, you don't. No. When I I start with like, "This is fucking amazing." Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is humiliating. What am I thinking? Like, yeah. I've wasted years of my life. <laughs> yeah. Telling people how smart I am, and this is the best thing. I've <laughs> right. Done. I've never opened my books once they get published. I, now I can understand that. I don't I, look, because I the only thing that. it can do is make me feel worse about what I exactly. already think is bad. Exactly. I know. Isn't that funny? It is a uh, Jed Bartlett on The West Wing used to say, "What's next?" That was his little catchphrase. Like, yeah. I come out. That's what I. It's the phrase here. Right. I've won awards for stuff. They go in a drawer. You'll never see them anywhere yeah. because that is a thing that I did. Uh-huh. As soon as it's over, I, I don't care about it anymore. But do you do you think that that can be bad? Like do you do you think you stop and and acknowledge what you've done in a in a good way? Like acknowledge and soak it in enough? Because I think sometimes that can be bad if you don't stop and go, hey, I the process was really. That was a big deal what I just I said. enjoy the process when it's happening. I'm very much a process person. Yeah. So, like, I freaked out. So, when I did the jam, I, I, I did a Michelle. I announced to everybody, I'm doing a writer's jam. Nobody knew who I was here. <laughs> and then I spent two months going around meeting every writer's group, everybody that I could. Yeah. Slowly got authors. and But everybody just assumed that I was this was a thing. Right. Um, and so, I was sick to my stomach for two months thinking, like, Nobody's going to show up. <laughs> I promised all this shit. <laughs> so then it happened, and I was like, I, I mean, I thought it was pretty good. We yeah. had like 58 people there. Yeah. Like, it was, uh, you know, in terms of a literary event, like, I thought it was pretty happening. And I had dinner that night, and I told everybody who was asking, like, if we were going to do another one, like, yeah, I'll totally do another one. I'll think about it in a couple weeks. And I got home that night and planned the next one. Wow. So my enjoyment lasted dinner. Okay. From the time it ended to the time <laughs> I got home that night, okay. my wife was like, you don't enjoy anything. I was like, I enjoy doing it. Uh-huh. Even the part when I'm sick to my stomach. Right. Um, because that's the art. Yeah. Like, the jam itself was a product. Right. Not right. anything I got from it had, was already over. Yeah. Um, and I hope that the you guys felt the same way. Like, it's fine. Like, you get it done and you're like, ah. Oh. Yeah. Well, and like I so, I mean, it, it kind of. I didn't know what to expect. I'd never done anything like that right. before, and I, I loved it. At the same time, it was like what? Yeah, right. <laughs> and then, of course, I had. And speaking, okay, so and let's just be afterwards. let's just be clear. What happened here for whoever's listening is that I had a complete brain fart moment, and um, my mind went blank. And and the material I knew like the back of my yeah. hand, and I I, I don't went blank know. for like five seconds. Okay, but to me, it was like right two hours. Yeah. But but what was interesting? There's a lot to be learned from that. One is one of the younger girls who had kind of forgotten for a minute came yeah. up to me and she was so grateful she said i'm so glad that happened to you because now i know it can happen to anybody yeah. and i said oh my gosh yes but it also it also remind it goes back to kind of what you're saying about this idea you have to be polished and perfect all the time and i give myself such a hard time yeah. and i i could have just you know crawled under a table but the thing is is that happened oh no it was brilliant yours was brilliant well when 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 you do anything subjective like right. we do, right. and there's, a, you know, you have to learn 
to be able to, you know, it's hard to be either, it's hard to make mistakes, it's yeah. hard it publicly, right. or it's hard to get a bad review, or yeah, it's yeah. hard to whatever, and it's all part of the, 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 the yeah, beast yeah. that it is. And it's a reminder, you know, because it, it ultimately it makes you stand up and rem- remember to be confident in who you are. And yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, things like that, a lot of people would just stop. Yeah. When I, this is what I tell people. Um, anybody that makes fun of somebody dancing, they're yeah. probably not dancing. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Anybody that's like, oh, I could have done that better. Right. You know what? I look forward to yeah. seeing you do it. Like, yeah. I don't give a shit about any of that. Like, yeah. me, it's the raw, cre- like, because we had a back and forth. You didn't want to put the video up. Right. You were, and, and to me, I was like, no, no, no. Like, that is, I saw the beauty of the story in the community. Uh-huh. And you saw the mistake. Right. Right. And right. so it's, that's the, um, I think the benefit of having it, you know, if it was mine, I probably would have had the same conversation. Um, but I told my wife at the time, like, that was one of the moments. The other moment that I knew the community came together was when um, – one of the writers went totally off the oh, rails, yeah. right? Like completely <laughs> yeah. off the rails. Completely. Like, right in the middle, he just looks at me, breaks the wall, and is like, I don't think I'm doing what I'm supposed to. And I was like, no, you're not doing anything. And everybody started clapping. Right, and I thought, right. This, that's what we've made. Yeah. Right? Like we've made a thing where everybody buys into the premise. Right. Whatever happens is actually irrelevant. Right. It's the premise of the evening that yeah. happens. And so that was why I enjoyed that so much. And then your story was great. Like, Thank you. Everybody was, if you watch it, at no point, the audience interaction, because the audience interacts, so they can clap or boo and hiss and stomp their feet. Everybody did exactly what you probably would have wanted them to do at the time that you wanted them to do it. Yeah. Even to the point when you messed up, they started clapping. Right. Right. They come back. Yeah. Um, I just, to me, that's, that is the thing, right? Yeah. Like, in a, in a, when everybody else was trying to do polished shit. Right. Like, we made an event where, like, things fell apart and people mm-hmm. were like, fuck it, sometimes yeah. things fall apart. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. keep going. Let's go. Uh, right. And that sort of, um, if it had happened at your one woman. Oh, that would have been bad. Yeah. It would have been a totally <laughs> different experience. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, that anyway, that's sort of the, that's the thing that I find um, interesting about that. So, are you going to go back and do a book? Yeah, it, well, it's funny. I have like three different books in progress, and I can't pick which one. And it's one yeah. of the ones that you know I, I think, oh, this sounds so fantastic at yeah. the time, and then I look back and go, I don't know. Yeah. And I keep going back and forth. And you know, this the, speaking of like writing and you know, internet and just there's so many people writing everywhere, and it can be overwhelming. Yeah. And I don't know. Sometimes I think you know everybody's trying to do the same stuff, yeah. right? So I've got to, I've got to focus, I got to hone in yeah. on something. And probably if I had a deadline. Yeah. Then I would get it done. Yeah. Um, and when I was working with an agent, I, I did, you know, I had the, for a uh, nonfiction, you don't have to have the whole thing written. You just yeah. have to, and, but. There's a book called Thinking Like Your Editor. And is it good? It's, it is the book that agents have given me. I have it. I will give you my hard copy. And it tells you how to write the proposal. Well, you know what? I think I would. I think I want to do self-publishing now. Yeah, but I, so, but I did, I still wrote the proposal. Even oh, you did? Yeah, oh, you did. Okay. It is how I. Got to the moment, the thing that I wanted to write about, right? right the whole okay. proposal is about getting to that nugget. Okay. What is the thing that right. I'm saying? And so when I hired my editor, I actually gave him the proposal. And he's like, well, you're not doing a – we're not going to take it to a publishing house. I'm like, yeah, but you need to know what I'm doing. And more importantly, I need to know what I'm doing. Right. And I can't just – I can't wing my writing. You hired an editor before you had it written? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was my old editor at Wired. Isn't um, that kind of like something I would do? 
Yeah, except for that I know that the editor, if he's not involved in the process of the proposal, he's not going to understand the book. Oh, The writing okay. needs to be – I need to have that shit focused before I write it. I don't right. want to write 200 pages and him be like, everything is gone except for page four. Now do that. Right. Okay. Right? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> really? I wasted months on this. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted that, that in the beginning. Yeah. Um, you know, did that did that work out for you then? Well, I'm writing it now. Like oh, the okay. problem is that I do too many things. Yeah. Uh, but like the designer, I hired the designer at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Like so, she's part of the whole process. Like everybody's part of the process with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm driving the ship. Right. I need people that are like, oh, there's an iceberg. <laughs> I mean, if you want to sail into it, that's <laughs> yeah, really. I've done my duty now and told you there's a fucking iceberg. Right. Um, and it frees me. I, right. Because, like, I don't worry, like, am I headed down the wrong road? Yeah. And when I do it by myself, I stop, start, stop, start. See, that's start, my start. problem. Yeah. And I've, I've often said I need people, and yeah. I do admit that for, for the book process, I need yeah. people that know what they're doing. Yeah. But I don't know those people, and I don't know how to go about it. And well, I don't. I'll help you. Okay. Well, hey, that would be, I mean, I, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of editors out there. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there who will tell you something different than what the other person just told yeah, yeah. you. And I don't know who to trust. I don't know right. who to. I, but I do need. I need Ultimately, people. Ultimately, you trust yourself. That's 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 true. And yeah. I'm and I'm. I've learned that, and yeah. I am continuing to learn that. And Isn't I, it interesting? Like, yes. A good editor won't tell you what to do. They'll help you try to figure out what you're trying to say. Anybody that tells you what to do, yeah, is telling you something. Right. Anybody that's helping you trying to figure out what you're trying to say is who you want to work with. That's I. I would agree. That's good advice. Yeah. And it's, Very good it's advice. Hard because if. Like going to the doctor, like they say, you need this. And we just do it. Right. Instead of going like, well, why? Yeah. Like I'm not questioning the science. Right. I would like to know if you're going to stick something in me, (laughs) why, like what's the process? Exactly. But we generally don't ask those questions of like professionalized things. Right. Well, look, we've been doing this for about an hour. I appreciate your time. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing show two since I missed show one. I only got the little nugget. (laughs) Hey, I still have it. If you know a venue, I'll come perform it. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know, we can rent out the Indie Fringe for $500 for a night and sell tickets. There you go. I mean. We can put something together. Yeah. Because we almost did the jam at the Indie Fringe. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, once we get to a certain number, it won't be able to fit in the the bookstore anymore. Yeah. So we talked to Indie Fringe about, yeah. like, is there That's a, a good idea. Do that? Right. So we could build it so, like, the show is the end of the jam. There you go. That would be awesome, That would be right? fun, wouldn't it? You need a producer, though. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you so much. It was fun. Yes. Well, there you have it, folks. That was my conversation with Michelle. thought it was very illuminating. She's a wonderful personality. Hopeful that we can help her out with her book. Looking forward to seeing what she does with her next show. You can find out more about Michelle, the Downtown Riders Jam, and the the podcast at thegeekypress.com. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter there. You can find out whenever we're doing something new. Make sure you sign up for the podcast feed on iTunes. Otherwise, we will talk to you next time. Have a great day.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.